0: I'm someone who has a three-year-old, like many of us do, um, and just a lot going on. And so for me, the way that I race best is with minimal pressure. So for this one, yes, I had a goal. I thought it would be awesome to run a personal best. I set myself up for success by running with a group of people. We had a guy who, uh, kind of served as our pacer. He was the one wearing mm-hmm. the watch. He was the one that was like, I'm in charge. Don't ask questions. Just hang with me. <laughs> and he was awesome he's just such a good guy he's become a friend of mine and so I was like just hang on all you have to do Allie is hang on is see him is stay next to him like that's your one job today you can do that
1: so here's the question how do runners like us remain active get stronger and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s this is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by YouCan. UCAN Nutrition is powered by Superstarch and delivers that steady, long-lasting energy without the spike and then the crash. I had to take a moment out of this episode to share with you how the healthy runner snacks during the day, that being me. I don't know if you're like me, but I will never pass on a good snack, and that is why I wanted to share with you some innovative food products that help you fuel smarter and curb cravings anytime while maintaining blood sugar and boosting energy. UCAN's healthy snacks are enhanced with super starch and crafted with healthy ingredients. This has been a game changer to curb those cravings between meals for me and my clients. I absolutely love the almond butter and it pairs so well with some honey wheat pretzel sticks, apple slices, or medjool dates. The granola is absolutely phenomenal. The only thing you will need to do is set some portion control because it tastes so good you'll want to keep going back in the bag for more. Since you are a part of our Healthy Runner community, as always, you will get 20% off all of your orders at UCAN.co. Just use the code HEALTHYRUNNER during checkout when placing your order. Go ahead and give this healthy snack a try, and believe me, you will thank me after when you feel better about your snacking habit. Oh boy, do I have a special treat for you guys today. On this 97th episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast, uh, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and become a lifelong injury-free runner. Today I have the one, the only Allie Feller, host of one of the leading running podcasts in the world, the Ally on the Run podcast, and creator of the Ally on the Run blog. Allie is a podcast host, blogger, freelance writer, and editor, race announcer, runner, and probably most importantly, a mom. So it is such an honor um, to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation, Allie.
0: Thank you for having me. Congratulations on 97 episodes. Do you have a a celebration planned for 100? You gotta do something exciting.
1: (sighs) I know, I've started thinking about that. Yeah, we're gonna make it a little special episode. Um, So yeah, I'm excited for that. It will be a little different than uh, any of the previous episodes. Yeah. And you got more than a hundred for sure. Um, you're like over the 400 mark, which is truly amazing. Like I've been listening to your show during all of my runs Um, during my week, my weekend yard projects, like this weekend, it was like, finally pull the flowers out of the, you know, the beds and, you know, I'm out there for hours. So what, what more to listen to than like your episodes. And you've had like a bunch of content coming out recently. So it's been keeping me entertained. um, And I just love how you're, show is so engaging entertaining um you always bring a smile to my face even though you know if it's during like a hard part of a run um and i guess i should probably you know share you know that i have been you know listening like your show has been one of the first ones that i started listening to like as a runner you know with like our, our friend Matt Chittum's, you know, Rambling Runner or like Carrie's show, um, you know, like you guys are the ones that I looked up to and like really have honestly influenced me as like a healthcare practitioner to, you know, start a running podcast. Um, so yeah, I consider, you know, you guys to be like the gold standard, if you will. Um, so in like, you know, the medical world, if you like hurt your knee or something, you know, we would do like tests in the clinic and we do like, you know, your ACL or something. It's like the Lockman test. It's like the gold standard where it's comparable to like the knee arthroscopy, like going in with the scope. I consider your show, honestly, the gold standard. So I'm truly honored to have you here on the Healthy Runner podcast today. Um, So we can share you with all of our listeners and we can chat about all things running, life, Parenthood, whatever, whatever we want to get to. So thank you again. I appreciate you coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. I feel like I I basically am a doctor now. Just from that <laughs> analogy, I feel like me and yeah, my good friends Carrie and Matt I'm Like just call me, call me Dr. Ally now. Dr. Matt, Dr. Carrie, gold standard doctors. I'm gonna there own that
1: go. title. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um. So, just like your show, we start all of our shows because, like I said, you're an influencer. You've influenced me. We start with a dynamic warm up, uh, just it. because so passionate about that active warm up before stretching, and just to get the word out, like we shouldn't be stretching like our parents and grandparents did before they went for a run. Um. So this is the first question that we ask all our guests. Um. So yeah, tell our listeners kind of where you're from and what do you do.
0: Sure. I am originally from Hopkinton, New Hampshire, Kentookook specifically, it's Kentookook Village within Hopkinton. Uh, so I was born in Pennsylvania, but we moved to New Hampshire when I was nine months old. So I can't say born and raised, but raised in New Hampshire, lived here until I went to college in Connecticut, as you know, Quinnipiac University, uh,
1: Bobcats.
0: Go go Bobcats. Go (laughs) Quinnipiac dancers. Absolutely. Uh, And then just worked my way down the East Coast, New Hampshire, Connecticut. The goal was to get to New York City where I would work. That's what I did. And then uh, in a crazy twist of fate, the pandemic brought me and my husband and our daughter and our dog right back to Kentook and Hopkinton, New Hampshire. And so now we are back. We thought we'd be city people forever. And now we've gone full country. When you're talking about being out weeding stuff, like that is my husband every weekend. He is happiest in the dirt. He has a leaf blower and he is loving this life. So, um, yes. Yeah, so. We are in New Hampshire now, uh, and, and I am all the things that you said. I don't even know if I have anything good to add to that. I am a, I'm the host of the Alley on the Run Show podcast. I am a mom. I have a dog mom. I am a wife. Uh, I am a race announcer. Next week, I am headed to New York City, where I will be at the finish line of the New York City Marathon. So uh, for all of your listeners who are running, hopefully I'll get to shout your names out when you get to that finish. Uh, so make sure exciting. you look up. Don't look down the number of runners that we see who are looking down at their watches. Your watch is not going anywhere. Your finish line photos are forever. Please look up and then stop your watch or you know where the buttons are. You can stop it without having to look and then you can see the number. Um, Anyway, I'm a race announcer. Can't wait to be in New York next week. And I'm a runner. And running is the thing that I talk about for a living, which is crazy because that in fifth grade was the number one thing that I hated. And I hid from the mile in gym class and life just as a funny way of coming full circle. So here I am in my circle.
1: (laughs) That is crazy. And yeah, I never hid from the mile, but the shuttle run was, I was terrible at that shuttle run never good picking up those erasers and like dropping them down um
0: awful all of it the only thing that I liked was the sit and reach because I was a dancer and so I was like this is where I thrive like I, I and I was like such a little annoying brown noser I'm pretty sure I was like do you want me to demonstrate like do you need someone to show everyone how to do it um and then he was like yeah do you also want to demonstrate the rope climb and I was like I have to call in sick <laughs> I'm out <laughs> Uh, yeah. So sit and reach was my jam.
1: Yeah, no, I can definitely, uh, I could definitely see you doing that in your gym class. And- oh yeah, I was annoying. <laughs> I off. was very annoying. And off of the course, split.
0: yeah. And of course now I see that gym teacher everywhere I go, uh, cause oh, he still goodness. lives in town. He lives like six houses down from my parents. So when I would go for runs, I would see him and I always wanted to stop and be like, Hey, Mr. Martin, like, I know that in fifth grade, when you told me to run, run the mile, I was a little S-H-I-T. I I don't know if I can swear, but I won't. Uh, And I just wanted to be like, but now like this is what I do and I love it and I've made a career out of it. And so just wanted to say, hi, your dogs are cute. He has two chocolate labs. Um, But instead I say nothing and I just keep running. So one of these days, Mr. Martin and I will like have a chat about how far I've come.
1: Now, I know one of the things when I first started listening to your show, as you mentioned, you know, that you did go way to school, um, just like I did, um, going to Quinnipiac University here in Hamden, Connecticut. And I know you've mentioned in some previous episodes that you had some like roommate drama, like who doesn't in the commons or in Irma. Um, Were you, you in know, commons? I was I in was commons. commons. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the commons. Um, and I'm kind of curious, you know, what did you wind up majoring in at Quinnipiac?
0: Journalism, Uh, which is funny now looking back because within the school of communications, there were two journalism specialties. There was broadcast and there was print journalism. Like there was no, I think there was, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget, but I remember my year. So I graduated in 07. They had Mm -hmm. introduced a new class called like Ecom or something. It was like the internet. It was like an internet class, um, because that was new or it was a new, maybe it was a major, not a class I forget. But, uh, so I was print journalism, which was focused specifically on magazines and newspapers. There was no internet journalism class. There was no, like how to write stories, like 10 ways to tone your abs in 10 minutes, which like, <laughs> uh, but print journalism. And I was a Spanish minor, which, um, hasn't come in handy as much. Um, <laughs> but journalism oh, the, comes in handy every day.
1: <laughs> well, the hardest class I took, so I was in the PT program and the hardest class that I took at Quinnipiac wasn't a PT course. It was Italian 101 because I wanted to learn about my heritage and learn oh. how to speak Italian, but it was like the worst thing ever to try to take a new language in college. I was like this is hard (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is like ridiculously hard all my like roommates are studying like you know bio and chem and physics and i'm like sitting there like stressing out about this quiz i had for italian Uh
0: (laughs) gelato spaghetti wait what year did you graduate
1: so i am uh a little older than you uh a couple years no so i graduated undergrad in 01 and then with my master's in 03 so I, so I was there many, during the yeah. transition years of like college to university.
0: Ooh, Braves to Bobcats. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. I have so many, and I know, we, you know, this can be an offline conversation, but I have so many friends who were in the PT program. And I wondered if there was any overlap, which we probably just missed that overlap. Right. Right. But, oh yeah. I mean, that's like the, I feel like the biggest draw for Quinnipiac is their PT, PT and PA programs. They, they're big on those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The PA program's like well-known nationally. Um, so while you were there, did you do any dancing at Quinnipiac? Yeah. I, I was know- on the
0: Kickline team. You were? I oh was, my goodness. That must've yes. been like the
1: initial years, right?
0: Uh, so I think it was like maybe like the fourth year or something. Yeah. Kickline was okay. still relatively new. Um, so I was, yeah, I joined as a freshman. Uh, and then senior year, I was the captain and by my senior year, we had started doing more competitions and stuff because it was getting more competitive. The team was really good. I think they're still pretty good. Uh, that was also the year that they built the new stadium or arena. Um, yeah. I'm not so good when I have to talk sports, uh, but the big house <laughs> where they play sports games. Uh, <laughs> so we got to like perform at the opening and it was so cool. Cause it was like the basketball on one side and then the hockey and. Uh, so we got to perform at the grand opening. And so we got to do a lot of cool stuff. I mean, it was very different than the dancing I did growing up, which was like incredibly cutthroat and straight headed at dance moms and all that with all the body issues and drama. Uh, but in college, it, w- it was so fun. Also, I don't know about you. We practiced from 9 to 11 p.m.
1: Wow. Like, Are you what? serious?
0: And it was normal because yeah, a lot of no, college the- classes, went until eight, like the three hour classes that were once a week were 5 to 8 PM. And then we would go and dance from nine to 11. I am so long asleep by those hours. That's the middle of the night. That's the next day. Basically. I don't know. Like not only were we practicing, we were practicing at a high level, like high kicking. How at 11 PM (laughs) who walked us back to our dorms? That's not safe. Anyway. Weird right. to think about that time in life. Well,
1: luckily you had all that time doing the sit and reach and gym class, you know, to set you up for that, you know, that hamstring length that you needed oh, yeah. for those high oh, yeah. kicks. Um, Granted, now yeah. I'm a
0: runner, can't come close to touching my toes, <laughs> but it's fine. My downfall was, was quick.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. Cause I actually just got like a blast from the past last weekend. We went to, so both my girls are kind of volleyball, one's in high school, one's in middle school, and we actually went to see the Quinnipiac uh, women's volleyball team play for the first time ever, um, like all of our teammates, we kind of organized a little group thing. And as I was walking through the old, if you remember like Burt Concord, um, and like where the gym was and I was like, Oh, the dance studios were upstairs. And yeah, so I was in dance company and we used to rehearse now that you remember, like you say that I remember that like 9 PM, 10 PM at night and like going upstairs by the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going for like rehearsals and you know, bringing back some of those old memories. But they I don't know if you heard but they are building finally a new health and wellness center. So that's very exciting. that will be open like next fall, I believe. Um, so there'll be a lot, many updates that are long needed because the gym and all that stuff hasn't changed um, in a while now. Um, oh. But I know you mentioned kind of the competitive um, dancing that you kind of grew up. Was that just your standard, like, you know, jazz, hip hop. You Did you do it all tap and all that?
0: Did it all tap jazz Ballet. Uh, We did a lot of like musical theater. Our studio was very big into production numbers. So we did a lot of like those nine minute routines that your poor parents have to sit through. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we, we were a big tap studio. So that was my specialty. I loved jazz, hated ballet, but knew I had to do it. Uh, which is funny. Cause now my daughter, she's three and she just started dance classes, which is like so cute. It's 15 minutes ballet, 15 minutes tap. And they're really just like following the teacher. They're not like learning the principles yet. Um, And she always just wants to go right to the tap part. And I'm like, oh man, right from a young age, they know that like the tap is more fun. I want to make noise and be silly. And I'm like, you have to learn the fundamentals. Uh, So yeah, it was, it was all of that every weekend we were competing. And then of course, recital and then nationals and dance was my world, my life. I was obsessed with my identity as a dancer. That very much defined me more than anything else growing up.
1: Yeah, so I I grew up, you know, dancing, I was age four, Um, not, I wasn't at a competitive studio. So it was like, you know, just your annual recital. Um, That's where I actually met my wife um, at dance school. Um, So yeah, so we did, and actually you'll appreciate this, uh, because we did a duo to a Celine Dion song. Which one? Um, (laughs) um, Because you love me. Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: classic classic
1: so so i figured you'd uh, appreciate that but yeah that's how we met uh through dance school and then yeah i wound up proposing actually in the schubert stage in new haven um when we did the nutcracker one year as like the party scene um so yeah we got some good photos of that on stage and me like interrupting the director of the new haven ballet to like you know my wife's like pulling me like what the heck are you doing like why are you interrupting the director as he's like holding rehearsal um but yeah, some Cute. good, good dance memories. That was the uh, previous life, you know, and at Quinnipiac dancing in Buckman theater, um, doing Buckman. those, you know, yeah. Buckman worst stage ever, but worst nice. stage.
0: <laughs> yeah. But dance company performances were, I don't know about when you were there, but like sold they out. were a big deal sold out. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would get like entire roads. Cause I was also like an orientation leader and like involved in all the clubs, like me and my friends were those people. And so we were very much like you support whatever club your friend is in, Uh, which meant we were always at different club things every night of the week. But at the same time, like my friends would come to Midnight Madness with big signs for me. Um, But yes, all that to say, spent lots of time in Buckman for dance company. And oh my gosh, what was the, don't throw the tomatoes. I don't know why I remember that, but that was the big comedy sketch oh show. My goodness. That was a very big deal. Um, and yeah, they they were in Buckman. We loved it there.
1: Yeah. And um, yeah, Tap was kind of my uh, favorite as well. That was always my forte. I never did ballet growing up. You know, just the old stereotypical guys don't do ballet. I wish, you know, as I got older, I was like, well, if I did it, my technique would actually be better. Um, but, you know, that was always like a dream to like you know, be on Broadway and, you know, be able to dance, but tap was definitely one of my favorites, um, as well. And did you ever take any class, like in the city at all? No, like I, um, city, or?
0: no, I did actually, I always said I was going to like go to Broadway dance center and take classes yeah. regularly. And then it was just like expensive. And I couldn't, this is so silly. I worked at dance spirit. I probably could have gotten free classes. Uh, all I had to do was ask. I knew everyone there, uh, But again, I was like so busy. I had a million excuses why I didn't want to. And then uh, I would every year we hosted the Dance Teacher Summit, which was like a big uh, summit for dance teachers. And it was with like the best choreographers, all this. So you think you can dance choreographers, you know, all the big names you know. So I would jump into classes during the Dance Teacher Summit and stuff like that and just kind of like go in the back corner. And, um, but yeah, I will say I lost. I thought I'd be able to pick up all the tap stuff right away, but I didn't do any of that in college. I just did kickline. Being out of it for even four, five, six years, I lost it. Uh, I was also—I've always been a slower learner in terms of picking up choreography. So situations like dance conventions stressed me out because you had to learn an entire routine so fast. I it and it took me a lot a lot longer to remember all the choreography and all that, so I just didn't enjoy that part of it. I very much like having an entire year to learn one routine and then performing it when it's perfect. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty to analyze there about what that says about me that I don't <laughs> want to do it unless it's perfect. Uh, and you're
1: a planner and mm-hmm. attention to detail. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah. so no, I, I pretty much stopped dancing as soon as I graduated from college, which was always the plan. I knew that I, I didn't want a career in dance. I was not good enough for that. Uh, I, I always said I could have, if I were half an inch taller, I would have auditioned for the Rockettes. Uh, cause that's very much like the precision based. even that, like I can I can't pick up choreography in general, but when I go watch the Rockettes, I'm like, I just watching it once. I'm like, I could do it in my head. I know all the steps you just did. Cause it's simple and it's repetitive, but not tall enough. So,
1: right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Otherwise I
0: totally would have made it as if, but, <laughs> uh, but that like the precision base was my jam.
1: I don't know. You never know though, because after college, that was the last time I danced for 10 years. And then when we enrolled my first daughter, you know, my oldest in dance, because um, of course, like we had to enroll her in dance, you know, the studio owners found out my wife and I used to dance and so we got like roped into like doing a duo in the recital. And then before you knew it, I was like, hmm, can I still tap? So that was like a challenge. I was wondering, I was like, did I forget everything or can I still do it? But I remember that. And I, so I basically got roped into like the adult class and I started tapping and I'd get new shoes. Like I had like, you know, the Savion Glover and like Gregory Hines shoes, like the K360s and I threw them all out. Like, I didn't think I'd ever use them again. And I got roped into, you know, getting back in the groove. And it took me months. You're right. Like, as far as like getting it down again, but it did eventually come back. So you never know. You could possibly bring back the tapping days.
0: The studio that I grew up going to, which is still around, they have adult classes and the adults perform at the recital, which I don't think I would want to (laughs) do. And it's funny, because as a kid, we looked at those and I was like, oh, they, we, like we called them the old ladies, right. we're like oh, the old ladies. And we loved them because they were funny. They were old ladies, right, tap right. dancing. And now I'm like, they were just people's parents. And that's me now. <laughs> like, am I an old lady that wants to do river dance? So part of me really wants to do it. Like, what do I have to lose? Why not? Exactly. So, yeah, we'll you never know. I, do
1: you still have your tap shoes? That's the question. Oh,
0: Think so. Hang on, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna yeah. look right here. Pause. Hey, go for it. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, there they are. Tan, they're tan. <laughs> the tan capizio teletones yes. with, Remember when they like switched to having the three screws yes. so just the one in the middle, and the taps would always fall off. I was always rescrewing those things in. Oh yeah. So anyway, I knew exactly where they were because they're uh, in my office. So <laughs> I've got it. them.
1: I love it. Okay. So we should probably transition at some point uh, to running because both of us have running shows and everyone listening to this right now is like, why are they talking about dance? Is this a dance podcast I just tuned into? Um, It could be. (laughs) So let's kind of transition. I guess really the first question I have for you is like, you know, having those skills as a competitive dancer or kind of what were like the lessons you learned from your dancing days that kind of helped you during the beginning of like your running journey as like a recreational runner now?
0: Confidence, confidence. I mean, I think we talk a lot for dancers about just body awareness in general, uh, which I think is huge. I think that in my running career, I've never, knock on wood, but I've never been seriously injured. Um, And even in my days of having a not so great relationship with my body, I always had a good sense of the difference between pain and injury, or like, is this something I should be worried about? Or is this going to pass in a minute? Like I've always been very in tune with my body and how it feels. And I do think a lot of that comes from being a dancer and spending so much time just obsessed over every little movement of your body, every feeling, how it looks, how it feels. So that's a big one. Confidence is, I think, the number one thing that I took away from my days dancing. When you are a, whether you're a recreational dancer or you're a competitive dancer, you're performing, you're spending time on stage in front of a massive audience. You're, if you're a competitive dancer, you're being judged and not like, is this math problem correct or incorrect? You're being judged subjectively by people who are deciding if they like you on that day or if you're good enough on that day. So I think it was learning to, um, to get feedback and just have the confidence to know what to do with that, which don't get me wrong, still something I'm working on. Uh, but that was something that we were, that people talked to us a lot about growing up was like, Hey, remember, yes, there are judges, but those judges are humans and they're judges you based on their opinion. And so it's just developing that confidence to know that like, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to perform and hopefully it goes well. Not all that different from running a race. You put in the work, you put in the training, the rehearsal time, you show up on race day, performance day, and you hope you nail it. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you fall out of your fuetes. Sometimes you bonk at mile 20. Like there's always things that might go wrong um, and that you can learn from. And sometimes things just go wrong despite your best preparation. So I do think there are a lot of parallels between dancing and running that I probably didn't notice when I started running, but that are so easy to see now.
1: Yeah, and I I definitely agree about the body awareness thing too and even with a lot of runners I work with is kind of the running form and then even being able to do exercises for running. Um usually those that have danced before have that body awareness and they can kind of pick up on those little subtleties, but I think, you know, you bring up a good thing, um uh, good point about really mindset and confidence and just the mental aspect um of running and you know, speaking of nailing races, uh, I did see that you did nail your race and you ran your fastest half marathon in over a decade at age 36, which is just amazing at the New England half marathon um, with an impressive like 141 09, I saw, um, which by the way, for the record, is definitely faster than my 144 that I just uh, ran at Hartford.
0: (laughs) Congrats! Yeah, but I was 144. 144 was the time I just took down. So that 141 is in your future.
1: Yeah, hopefully. um, Yeah, I can continue to improve, and I shared with my audience um you know a couple of weeks back on like my post race reflection and how kind of that was my fastest time in like a 5 year period or like 15 half marathons um you know what did you take away from your race and or what differences did you you know make in your training your race strategy or life really that got you that pr
0: yeah the biggest thing for me is that i If I plan for a race and I put in 16 weeks of training and say, this is my goal race. This is my shot. I'm going to crack under that pressure, self-imposed pressure. No one else cares. Right. But that's how I used to train. And that's how I used to race. And it never went well for me. It wasn't until I stopped running with a watch, just ran by feel and kind of started signing up for races on a whim, not on a whim, not like the night before. Right. Like I knew this race was coming because it's annual and I did it last year. So I just made sure that I was building up my mileage over the last couple of weeks, months. Uh, so I knew that I could run the half marathon distance. I didn't stress myself out by trying to stick to a training plan or workouts. A lot of people thrive on those. You would think as someone who loves plans (laughs) that I would thrive on that. But I'm also someone who has a chronic illness. I'm someone who has a three-year-old like many of us do, um, and just a lot going on. And so for me, the way that I race best is with minimal pressure. So for this one, yes, I had a goal. I thought it would be awesome to run a personal best. I set myself up for success by running with a group of people. We had a guy who, uh, kind of served as our pacer. He was the one wearing Mm -hmm. the watch. He was the one that was like, I'm in charge. Don't ask questions. Just hang with me. And he was awesome. He's just such a good guy. He's become a friend of mine. And so I was like, just hang on. All you have to do Allie is hang on is see him is stay next to him. Like that's your one job today. You can do that. And it was just a day where it all came together. And those days are very rare for me Uh, with Crohn's disease. I, I don't always get days where running feels good. And so the fact that I was able to run that without bathroom stops or without pain or without cramping, that to me is like, that is something to celebrate regardless of the time on the clock. And so This doesn't work for everyone, but my strategy is to just keep it fun and make it something I always enjoy doing. The second that running doesn't feel fun for me, I'm not doing it. Uh, That's, I hear from people all the time who are like, I want to become a runner, but I hate running. I'm like, then don't become a runner. Like there's so many things that you can do (laughs) that you will enjoy. Do those things. Um, And if there's a day that running calls to you and seems fun or enticing or like a great challenge you'd enjoy then run, but otherwise like don't force yourself to do something that you don't enjoy. And I love running. I love my daily runs. I love racing. I love the atmosphere and the environment. So that was just a day where it came together for me. And honestly, I just, I give Jonathan our pacer. I give him all the credit. I just hung on. He did the running. I was just there.
1: Was that the plan going into the race is to, okay,
0: cool. Yeah, we had, um, so we met through uh, millennium running club, uh, or millennium running, which is an events company up here that does great races. And I am an announcer for them now. And they have a running club with like hundreds of members. Everyone's so nice. And Jonathan is one of the club members. So eventually like we were doing time trial style races for a long time during the pandemic. So one runner every 15 seconds and we had their names up on an LED board. So we were announcing the name of every runner. So very quickly, it was great for me. I got to know everyone because I always said their names at the start and at the finish. So, I got to know people, got to know Jonathan. We ran, we did a group run together a few weeks ago where we ran the course of this race, which happens to start on my road. Uh, so, that was convenient for me as I was like, well, if I'm going to meet friends at 5 a.m., at least it's <laughs> out at, at my driveway. Uh, so, we did that and I felt great. And I had mentioned to Jonathan what my PR was, which was 144.48 from 2011. And he later told me that he was just kind of observing how I was breathing during that run. And he noticed that in the last mile, I ran a seven Oh seven. Cause I was like, Oh, I like a fast finish on my long runs. And he was like, and you were fine. Like you did great. So that was when he kind of planted the seed for me of like, I will pace you. And then we had more people join in. So we had a whole group, um, the whole group we didn't all finish together. Some people didn't have great days, but some people did. And I've just never been a part of an experience like that. Uh, it's something I hear about on the show a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. but I always like I I don't ever want a pacer because I don't want to bother someone. I don't want to ask for a favor. I don't want them to worry about me. I don't like. I just don't like asking for things, but this was all him. And, uh, he was, he was awesome. He tried to talk to me and I ignored him the whole time until mile <laughs> 11 point something. When I apparently said to him, how far are we from mile 12? Cause I knew at mile 12, I wanted to try to pick up my pace any sooner than that. I didn't want to, cause I was still really nervous to mess up or something could go wrong. So at mile 12, I knew I was going to start to push just a little. So I remember saying to him, how far are we from mile 12? And I didn't know this, but his watch had malfunctioned. So his time was, his pace was off. His mileage was off. Like he was freaking out, which he didn't tell us in the moment. He told me after. So I guess when I asked him that he didn't know how far we were from mile 12. So he's trying to do mental math. And he was like, uh, we're almost at mile 12. And I snapped and I go, does that mean 11.6 or 11.9? And he's again, trying to do math in his head and like, I was having fun, but you know, at mile 11 point something, you kind of are ready to see the finish line. Oh yeah. And he's like, and so he was like 11.9 and he he told me after he's like, I did not know if that was accurate Uh, (laughs) and and you seemed like you wanted answers. (laughs) We turned the corner and the mile 12 marker was like right there. So it worked out. Uh, But yes, that was the only, I think the only time I talked to him was asking the question of like 11.6 or (laughs) 11.9. I'm a nice girl. I'm super fun.
1: Oh my goodness. I love that story. And you've been very transparent on your podcast about living with Crohn's disease. Um, Can you just share a little bit about, um, for those that don't know what it is, um, can you just kind of share a little bit about what it is?
0: Yeah. So this is always a good conversation to have with runners because here's how I get to explain it. So it's an inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. I actually have Crohn's colitis is my official diagnosis. So extra credit. I have both. (laughs) The way I describe it to runners is, you know, that run you were on at some point in your life where all of a sudden you needed a bathroom super bad and you started to sweat and panic. That's Crohn's, but always, uh, Can relate to that because most runners have been in that scenario, that really panicky, really uncomfortable, really, am I going to make it type of scenario (laughs) at least once. Uh, And I appreciate when other runners share those stories. (laughs) So that's Crohn's, Uh, whether or not I'm flaring when I'm having a flare, uh, it's a chronic illness. So I'll have this forever unless they come up with a cure. I'm on medication for it. Uh when I flare, it's really really bad and I'm in the bathroom a lot and I'm in pain a lot and I'm very fatigued and I'm anemic and I get joint pain. But even when I'm not flaring. So right now, pretty healthy. But I still have to make usually two to three bathroom stops on any given run and I just oh, wow. plan for it. I'm used to it now, right? Like this is my life. Uh, it's not ideal, but I've had the disease since I was seven. So it's all I've ever known. Uh, I think it's, I hear from a lot of people who get diagnosed in their twenties and thirties. And that is like, that rocks your world because you're, you've lived your whole life having no idea. And now there's so much to change. Whereas I was diagnosed when I was seven, it was my parents' problem more than it was mine. They were the ones figuring out how to treat me and how to take care of me and what insurance would and would not cover now it's like, well, yeah, it sucks. I hate this disease, but I've had it pretty much. I've had it for 30 years now. So, uh, not fun. Lots of running for the bathroom. I'm Mm -hmm. very tired off often, but, uh, it's what I'm used to. So yeah.
1: Right. So you you had this before you became a runner. Um, so it wasn't a subtle adjustment you needed to make for your running. It was Part of your lifestyle, and it was like, exactly. Hey, now I'm taking up running. Um, so how has kind of your personal, you know, trials and tribulations managing Crohn's, um, you know, how has that changed your outlook on, you know, running with a chronic disease or even within our running community? Cause I'm sure you probably have people that have reached out to you because you've been so transparent on, you know, their stories or them being diagnosed with some, you know, chronic illness. Um, How has that kind of changed your outlook on, on the running community in general?
0: Yeah, so many ways. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is I am obnoxiously grateful. Uh, I am that person who is like, just so grateful that I can run like all the things that sound so cheesy and lame that you're like, that person can't actually believe that. Like today I went for a run and I made no bathroom stops. And that is my caption on Strava for my run. I will remember this run forever. Like that to me, that's just the best feeling. Most people I would imagine run without bathroom stops every day. And that's normal. Whereas for me, that is something to celebrate and I will celebrate that. Um, so I think it's definitely gotten me to appreciate everything. I have a lot of gratitude. Uh, I got a message that was like, whatever, um, not nice (laughs) from someone, uh, who decided to send me a message about how self-absorbed I was being because I posted on Instagram twice about my half marathon PR and i'm so self-absorbed and i was like Are you serious mm, oh i was goodness. like you're coming here to follow me my name is on the podcast and my instagram of course it's self-absorbed what do you <laughs> want me to post about if not my own running <laughs> but to me like every run where i don't have to make a bathroom stop is something i celebrate a race where i don't have to make bathroom stops and I felt healthy enough to PR for the first time in 10 years, hell yes, I'm going to celebrate that. So if people think it's too much or it's annoying or it's like too sunshiny, I might not be for you. And that's okay because I am going to celebrate the hell out of every good day that I have. Uh, also there've been days where I get comments like that and I'm like, screw this. Like, I'm just going to hang it up. This isn't fun. I don't, you know, like I can get a, hundred thousand nice comments and I get one negative one and it just ruins my day. I hate that. I, I hate that. I care. I hate that there's someone out there who doesn't like me like God forbid. Uh, so there are days that I want to hang it up and then I'll get a message from someone who's like, I have Crohn's and I didn't think I could be a runner. And then I found your blog and And I realize I can, it just might look different than it looks for other people. Or, um, I got a message from a nurse once who was like, I work in pediatric gastroenterology and reading your blog and following your podcast has helped me better relate to my patients. And I was like, (laughs) like this person went to med school and they're finding value in what I'm sharing because it's the human side of. All of that, uh, those messages, I would say beyond anything I've ever shared, done, put out, like I get to interview a lot of really cool people on my show and it's the comments from the everyday person who have felt less alone because of something I shared. A lot of parents whose kids have Crohn's that'll reach out to me, um, that, you know, maybe aren't getting answers from doctors or the places they're seeking. But then when you hear, you know, it's so different to have a doctor say, do this, this, and this versus hearing from a person who's been through it firsthand. Doctors are amazing and brilliant and smarter than I will ever be. But there's something to be said for hearing about someone's firsthand experience. And so uh, those messages, when, when parents reach out saying that their kid has been diagnosed and they don't know what to do but they found comfort in something that I shared, that's like, I can't even, I don't think that I've processed what that means, to be honest. I've been doing this a long time and I don't think, I don't think I've ever sat back and thought about that impact on those people. Um, So at some point I need to just go like stay in a cabin alone and just think about like how kind people can be and how good people are in this community. And, um, see, I get so like gratitude and rainbows, like, wow, oh, am I like this? I'm just grateful.
1: Yeah and I think that's something you know like for myself coming from like the clinician background where you're you're always working with someone and you're kind of receiving that real time feedback like you know the impact you're having on someone that's been one of the most surprising things for me is like by doing the podcast where I don't know, you know that you see the numbers of who's listening and subscribing and all of that, but you don't know them and you don't know what impact you're having. So obviously, like I've already told you, you've had such an impact on me, um, and you didn't know that, right? And I think it is so cool to be able to have this medium where, you know, we are able to impact people, and you know the messages that you share are very inspirational. And no, you shouldn't stop talking about your PR because honestly, most runners need to actually stop, reflect, celebrate those wins because we all know like there's going to be losses, like you mentioned before, and there's going to be hard days and we're going to have hard times. And running is really that outlet, right? That allows us to be able to be the best person, parent, co-worker, whatever, like in our daily lives. And no, don't stop celebrating, don't listen to that troll or heater. And you know, who's telling you not to celebrate your uh, half marathon PR. Um, But I, I, I think that is very inspirational. And for what you're doing for people who have chronic illnesses, it's like just great to see that they can do Something, you know, and they can run. And I'm sure there's traditional doctors that probably GI docs that I have no clue because I don't interact with GI docs, but they probably tell them, like, oh no, you definitely can't be a runner. Um, mm-hmm. just like someone who has knee pain or you know, foot and ankle pain, and they're saying, Oh, you can't run, running's bad for your knees, like just don't run and your knees won't hurt. Um, and I work with people all the time where that's not the case, right? So oh, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> So I guess, yeah, since this is the Healthy Runner podcast and, you know, my background is physical therapist, I'd be remiss to not ask you about, you know, if you've had any type of running-related injuries during your whole time running um, that did sideline you for a little bit. And if so, you know, what did you learn most from kind of that experience?
0: Yeah, so I am very fortunate that I've not had any, like, Crazy, big, scary injuries, but in 20, gosh, it would have been 2012, 2013, 2012. So I ran my first marathon in September, 2011, got hit hard with the post-race blues, post-marathon blues. Um, I felt like I had no purpose without a training plan. So immediately I signed up for the Eugene marathon, which would have been in April, I took almost no time to recover from my first marathon. And I was a very new runner. This was 10 years ago. And so I remember the weekend after my marathon, I ran 10 miles because to me, 10 miles was nothing coming off marathon training where your long runs are 20. It was like, I can run 10 miles. Uh, I remember my race was early in the season. It was a September marathon. And so there were still people running. Chicago, Marine Corps, New York, CIM, and I'm watching all them like peaking and I'm so jealous because mine was done. So I signed up for Eugene, took no appropriate time to recover from the Hamptons marathon, which was my first, jumped right back into a training plan, went for higher mileage, no surprise that my body didn't respond super well. Uh, I experienced shin splints for the first time. And I dealt with some bursitis in my hip, uh, which I later learned was probably directly related to my torn hamstring on which I did from dancing, not from running. Eleventh uh, grade, about to go on stage, oh no, I didn't warm up. Let me just drop into a split real quick. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was dumb. Literally, I heard a pop, and I was like, "Well, I got to go on stage." And it was Saturday, and so I still had to compete all of Sunday too. Tore my hamstring, did nothing to deal with it. So, um, I still have like really, a really, really rough, uh, left leg, still pretty tight. Uh, so anyway, had bursitis on my right hip, um, nothing major, but it sidelined me enough that, uh, I stopped running, but I started cycling. I bought a bike. I did a century ride. Like I couldn't I was dealing with some exercise addiction at the time, which now is easy to say, but at the time I was very much in the thick of it. And I just didn't chill. I didn't let my body recover. I didn't let my body rest. I was just so excited to keep doing more and to see what I could do that. I just kept doing without realizing you can't always be here that you have to like have the cycles that for every peak, you have to recover. You have to take care of yourself. That's why we have peak weeks and down weeks. And I wanted every week to be a peak week. If I ran 30 miles one week, I wanted 31 and then 32, I never wanted 29. I always wanted more. So even though I never was seriously injured during that time, it was a really important time to reflect and say, okay, not every race is a PR. Not every week is a peak week. You can't just keep going because you will just go into the ground, like just crush your body. And so that was the biggest takeaway from that time. Um, and yeah, haven't had shin splints since, which is great because those were very annoying. Not a fan.
1: Because you were training properly now, right? And allowing that recovery and doing training cycles and Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what led me down the path of going from like physical therapist to run coach and learning more about the training aspect, because I get tired of just, you know, treating people who kept getting injured all the time. And I think you bring up a great point is the training is kind of the most important part about staying healthy. And if you train correctly, and like you mentioned, you know, take those down times and, you know, allow that recovery. Like this episode on the podcast will be released uh, right after New York and everyone's now kind of finished up their fall marathon. So if you're listening to this, uh, make sure you're taking this time to allow that recovery that allows the recovery. So then you can actually be stronger and faster the next, you know, cycle that you jump into. Um, we need that downtime. So I think that's a great lesson, um, that you shared. And we did have a question come in from one of our healthy runner community members. Um, Amanda, um, was wondering, um, first she says, Allie is so great. Like we didn't know that already, but Thanks, she says, Amanda. uh, <laughs> Allie says that, you, you know, her goal is as a runner to always be in half marathon shape. So she wants to know what does that look like in terms of mileage, speed work, long runs every weekend. Um, And then she goes on to say that she wants to keep her mileage up after her current training cycle, but needs to figure out how to make always open air quotes here for those listening on the podcast, always in marathon shape doable. So what advice do you have for Amanda?
0: Sure. Well, I'm not a coach. I am not certified. So this is your guy for the legitimate good advice, but just what has worked for me is yeah, knowing that a half marathon is 13.1 miles. I like to know that if there's a half marathon this weekend that I really want to do, I could jump in and run it, not PR it, not necessarily race it, but that 13 miles point one is doable for me. So usually I'm running between 40 and 50 miles a week. That could be some days I run six days a week, some days I run a seven day week, and then I'll take the rest day the following Monday, um, which is a lot for some people. It works for me. So I always put the caveat on that. Like I didn't always do this, I used to be very firm on one to two rest days a week. Right now, because I'm not doing hard workouts, all my runs are easy runs. I live on the top of a big hill and I walk the hill every single day. So for me, there are still ways that I'm building in those peaks and valleys, uh, which is walk breaks on my runs. Every run is an easy run, whether it's just a random run on a Tuesday morning or my long runs, pretty much every run is done at the same pace. Probably not many people would advise this. I'm sorry if your head is exploding right now, but <laughs> what has worked for me is yeah. And then on the weekend, I'll do a long run. I usually do like a 10 mile long run on the weekend, uh, I might rest the day before that. I might rest the day after that. It's just checking in and I check in with my body obsessively. If I wake up and I feel just like tired, like, you know, like not just, Oh, I could really benefit from sleeping in. Cause we all could. Right. But like, I know that if my body is feeling really tired, I'm not going to run. That's my rest day right there. Um, And I've learned that rest days are part of the training. It's not like a day off. It's, it's your recovery day. It's your repair day. It's part of your training. And that shift for me, was really big. So yeah, the, um, I think I'm usually around 45 miles a week, which is crazy because when I was training for my first few marathons, I didn't even peak anywhere close to that. So it's taken, I've, I've built, this mileage, which for some people is high and for others will be low. Uh, I've built that mileage over the past 12 years that I've been running. So, uh, that was not, I didn't start at that. That's where I've found my happy spot. Now that feels good for my body. Uh, can you tell that I don't like giving advice? I'm so like, this is what works for me, but be careful. And I don't want (laughs) to give bad advice. Uh, but yeah, that's what works for me. And, and I'm not doing right now. I'm not doing any specific training toward a time goal. It's just keeping my runs comfortable and conversational at no point during any run. Could I not have a conversation with someone? So just feels good. I keep it feeling good. And if it doesn't feel good, I stop.
1: Great advice there. I love it. I love it. And the only thing I would add to that, Amanda, is really if this was a big peak for you, definitely take that time to recover. But you could, if you built up the mileage, like Ali's saying, you have that base level of fitness that you can continue with um, from this point forward, your training should look a little different um, in terms of if you were doing speed work. Um, But, you know, as you kind of you know, get each half marathon under your belt, then you have this level of fitness that's maybe at a higher level now and just avoiding those sudden spikes or not allowing recovery for your body. But I agree with the rest days as well. Um, yeah, super, super important. So I do need to ask this because I know it is, um, you've mentioned this before about, um, New York city marathon weekend. I know you'll be in town for four days. Why is the New York city marathon the greatest weekend of the year?
0: Have you been? It's the best. It is. Okay. So I always go back to, uh, this video that it was when the New York city marathon, I believe it was still sponsored by ING. Cause I think this might have been like an ING video or a tourism video. I forget. Um, narrated by Alec Baldwin, who
1: news for other reasons. I have nothing to
0: (laughs) say. I don't know what to say about that, Uh, but it is in his very like iconic voice. Um, And he says in this video about the New York City marathon, he says the city that doesn't stop for anything stops for one day, the New York City marathon. And he talks about how like the world is divisive and New York City can be divisive and people are throwing elbows on the sidewalk. If you're not walking fast enough, like New York City is a really intense place to be, but on Marathon Sunday, every single borough has its unique marathon experience. And in my opinion, no matter what way you're experiencing the New York City Marathon, it's life-changing. The first time that I experienced the marathon was as a spectator. I was not a runner. I knew nothing about it. I actually was moving that day because I made a sign for my friend that I worked with on the side of a cardboard box, a moving box. And I stood on fifth Avenue, which is a gradual climb and was just like, this is a thing. Like you people chose this on your Sunday. Like I had no idea that everyday people ran marathons later experienced it as a runner, which is an amazing way to experience it. I've done it as a volunteer handing out water cups out in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Queens, Brooklyn. We were in Brooklyn. Uh, Volunteering is so much fun. I've done it as a race announcer, which is just so special. I've never cried in one day so much in my life. So it's just, um, Now more than ever, to see people come together for something, I think that's what we need. Uh, I know that oversimplifies a lot of the world's problems, but to see people, to see the spectators cheering for the runners, and they don't know you. Like, If I were to just go run the New York City Marathon, which I won't, don't worry, people would cheer. They don't know me. They, they're not cheering for Allie Feller. They're cheering for this random stranger who they see doing a thing that deserves applause. Like that's so cool. And it's everyday people doing something extraordinary and pushing their limit. I I could talk about this forever. Uh, I just think it's a really magical, special sparkly day that everyone should experience in one way or another. And to everyone of your listeners who is listening to this having just completed the new york city marathon when this comes out um congratulations and celebrate and take a buttload of days off right now because your body's gonna thank you oh i wanted to add that after i ran my half when we talked about like what i do to take care of myself i took the rest of the week off i didn't run until friday um of the next week because I was so sore I could barely walk. But I saw so many people run the Boston marathon and then do like a shakeout run the next day, like a six-mile <laughs> shakeout run. And that if that works for them, I'm not gonna discourage it. But I think in this age of social media where we share everything, a lot of people see that and they're like, oh wait, I should run the day after my marathon. Oh, people are back to their normal mileage the following week? Dude, no. <laughs> Right. Um, I think that's kind of a pervasive thing that we see. And so I am here to say, it's great to take ample rest days and run again when it feels good. Um, it took me a full week to be fully recovered physically. I'm sure I'm still like tired and fatigued on the inside, but it was a full week before I was like, Oh, my body feels good again. So here to say that PSA.
1: (laughs) No, I think that's great advice. And I definitely, New York City will definitely be on my bucket list, um, especially with going into the city to take dance class. Like, I would love to be able to do the marathon. So thank you for sharing that experience. Um, so I know you hate to ask this question of all your guests. So I figured like, hey, you're on the other side here. So maybe I can ask you um, and I have free reign. But whether it's running, announcing, podcasting, business brand growth, what is next for Ali Feller?
0: Yes, so it's hard for me to think past next week because New York City Marathon week is my busiest week of the year. So, uh between announcing and live shows and all kinds of things, that's my immediate next. Uh after that, I'm trying to decide if I want to do last year I did a virtual live show for the holiday season because we were I mean, the pandemic was in a different place than it was now. Uh and I just felt like we all needed to connect and we couldn't do it in person, so I did a virtual live show. I work for myself. So I called it my holiday party and it was super fun. So I want to do that again. I just want to gauge where people are at. Like, do people want that? Are people fatigued from zoom? Would they be excited? Got to feel that out. Right. Big dreams and goals right now. I don't have any running goals. I feel very content with the one that I just did. So I'm going to let that one, um, just enjoy that for a while. Yes. Uh, big goals. I want to one day host a running retreat and I want to go on tour. I want to do a live show tour where I go to lots of fun cities and do live shows in those areas. Because as you know, we talk into these microphones and even with DMs and messages, I hear from people, but getting to see and connect with the people who listen, I, I couldn't and wouldn't do anything that I do without this amazing community. And so I just want to travel around and get to meet those people and celebrate and hang out and have dance parties. So, uh, those are some big dreams and goals of mine.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Do you think we have like five minutes for a little spark lightning round? Oh yeah, questions? of course. All right. I right let's do this. That. I figured you're going to be like really good at this. Okay. On your run music or podcast.
0: Both. Depends on my mood. I start with a podcast, finish with music.
1: Okay. Favorite go-to running song to add to your race playlist?
0: Celine Dion, I Drove All Night, remix.
1: All right. Awesome. And We talked about this before we hopped on, but yeah, my wife's a huge Celine Dion fan. We danced to one of those songs. We saw her in Vegas, and our firstborn's middle name is Celine. <laughs> so you could tell that's how much of a fan my wife is that's of amazing. Celine Dion. <laughs> so yeah, Olivia Celine. Um, so favorite marathon to announce or talk to professional runners about
0: New York city marathon.
1: All right. Dancing with the stars or so you think you can dance.
0: So you think you can dance.
1: All right. Um, during your QU days, were you more likely to be seen at Ray and Mike's or enchiladas?
0: Well, it depends on the day of the week. Enchiladas was a big <laughs> Thursday thing. Uh, I worked at Side Street, so I am I I nominate Side Street in the mix. I was a there sucker for the Buffalo Wings. Uh, but I mean, the Ray and Mike's cheesesteak was A+. All
1: right. So now let's go to New Haven. Toad's Place or bar, or were you like a Van Dome kind of girl?
0: Okay. So I, I worked Saturday nights at Side Street because I hated going into New Haven. So I volunteered to take the Saturday shifts. I was not a big club person. Um, I have very triggering. I I feel like I talk about Toad's Place on my podcast. Whenever someone from (laughs) Yale is on the show, I'm like, did you ever go to Toad's? Did you see my vomit by the front door? Um, I have very triggering messages, uh, memories from Toad's Place. So not great. I do joke sometimes that I'm gonna do a live show at Toad's Place uh, someday. If you ever do um, that, I will be there. (laughs) Yeah, bar was good because bar had pizza, but didn't bar also have girls that danced in cages? Like, that was weird. (laughs) Um, I
1: think they did. I just remember spending my 21st birthday there because they had like a dance club room in the back, but then you also mm-hmm. had the bar chill in front and you had pizza. So it was like pizza. nice little variety. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. Now I can't remember. Was it black bear saloon? I feel like it was newer, but that was our big, Yes. I liked that yep. in new Haven. Cause it was more of like, I liked bars better than clubs. Yep. Um, and then what was the other place? There was a Mexican place that we went to oh. for my 21st birthday in new Haven, not enchiladas. Cause that's Hamden. Um, oh yeah. gosh, I'm, this is awful that I'm not going to be able to think of it, but I'll, it wasn't like,
1: I'll I know what you're talking about too. I and I can't picture think of it because my roommates work there actually. Uh, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they had like massive drinks that they were just like, do you want to black out tonight? And you're like, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, New Haven, you know what? My go-to spot in New Haven was the J crew. I liked okay. New Haven during the day. <laughs> J. Crew. J.
1: Crew over Abercrombie, even though you used to work at Abercrombie, right? I
0: did, I did yeah, work at Abercrombie. I did too. I did too. Oh, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um, yes, those were the days. But in college, I had moved on to J. Crew. I went through a colored peacoat phase that I was pretty committed to. So yep. yeah, but now, nice. now those are like the only two stores I shop at because all I wear is. Like leggings and sweatpants. So when I need to buy clothes, it's Abercrombie and J. Crew. So again, full circle moments.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, let's continue here. Beach or lake vacation?
0: Beach, less mosquitoes. Okay.
1: Favorite Netflix binge? Shit's Creek. Favorite movie?
0: I'm like, Shit's Creek. Uh, center stage.
1: All right. Since this episode is going to air kind of close to Thanksgiving, what's the favorite food you're looking forward to on your Thanksgiving table this year?
0: Stuffing gravy and rolls with a lot of butter, just all the carbs,
1: (laughs) Love it, but make them wet. All right. So this is the final stretch is the last question we ask all our guests. Um, If you could change one thing about the misconception of being an iconic uh, podcast host and race announcer, what would that be?
0: God, wait! This is hard. They were all. I, I felt like I was doing okay in this round. You're and doing now I'm amazing.
1: Like, You're winning.
0: Wow. wow. Um, okay. So misconceptions about me, basically.
1: Yeah, um, and and about being, you know, the the public face that you are, and you know, being, you know, that announcer that everyone knows and podcast that everyone listens to. Um, what are you know any misconceptions or things that people don't realize or know, you know, of you, of you or, or what that entails.
0: That I'm not as self-absorbed as that person thinks <laughs> who sent me that message. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't do this for my own gain. I do it for, cause I love hearing the stories, but, um, I mean, I think my, where my brain immediately went with that was just how much work it is. Um, I credit a lot of what I do to luck and to being in the right place at the right time. Um, but I work really hard and I work a lot and, um, I, I care so deeply about this community and the people in it. Um, so yeah, it's not, I think that the show itself, yeah, it's fun. And I like for the conversations to make people happy, but, behind the scenes I'm like working my tail off and I never stop doing that and so I I guess I hope that if there's ever something people don't like or want different or um like just know that I'm I'm working hard to make this a show that people love and uh I just want to make people happy and I did better with the Shits Creek question didn't I
1: No, I think that's, that's, you know, you're being true and your real self after, you know, listening to many episodes of your show, I would say, that's reflective on, you know, bringing people together. And I just love the positivity that you share in the stories that you share and other issues, honestly, that are going on in our society. Um, and I guess finally, you know, many of our runners are probably listening to this during a run, uh, like I do for your show. Um, what message do you have for a healthy runner community of runners who are getting sweaty right now?
0: Oh, you're doing great. Keep it fun. Let this be something that adds to your life. If running is ever at a point where it's taking away from your joy, your happiness, your physical wellness, if things are hurting, if you're not happy, um, give it a break. Let running be something that adds to your life because you deserve that. You're doing great. And I'm happy that you're here.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure there are going to be many runners who really connected with you today, Allie, and realized like what an awesome person you are, Um, during our chat, if they've been like hiding under a rock and haven't listened to your show, you know, where can our healthy runner community connect with you?
0: Oh, I'm everywhere. So self-absorbed. Uh, I, uh, so the alley on the run show podcast, you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. My website is alleyontherunblog.com. Uh, Instagram and Twitter alley on the run one. And I have the alley on the run show, best running friends, Facebook group, which is just the loveliest corner of the internet because everyone is so nice. And when you join, you have to agree to be kind and people have really, uh, stayed true to that. So I'm everywhere.
1: Yeah. And this has just been amazing. This is like everything I could have ever imagined, honestly, because I probably played this conversation in my head like a (laughs) hundred times during a run while listening to one of your episodes. And I'm just so like, you know, thankful that you agreed to come on the show and taking time out of your busy day, um, to share with our community and, you know, I, I really uh, appreciate you and thank you for all you do, honestly, for our running community. It's uh, really something special. Um, so everyone needs to definitely go subscribe to the Alley on the Run podcast and check out our Instagram um, at Alley on the Run 1 because it's positivity and we all need more positivity in our lives. Um, so thank you so much, Allie. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for all the kind words and for having me and for letting me talk about running, but also bathroom stuff and vomiting at toads. It felt good to get all that off my chest. Uh, Thank (laughs) you. And thank you for all that you do. I'm so glad we were finally able to do this.
1: Yeah, me too. And most of all, thank you guys, the listeners who are listening right now, um, watching the video version in the Healthy Runner Facebook group or the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Um, I appreciate all of you and Um, Remember every week we go live within the healthy runner Facebook group. So check us out in the events tab to find out what is going to be the next guest that we have on and what topic will help you stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Bye guys. Hey, wait a minute, just to let you guys know much of what you heard on this episode is delivered live within our healthy runner free Facebook group. So head over to there to request to join our community in which you will have access to the video version of this episode and so many bonus features, including blog article references and YouTube video links, as well as me answering your specific running related questions. Also, we are closing in on 50 reviews on iTunes, which I am super pumped about, given we're only six months into this podcast journey together. So to help me get there, the first thing you need to do is you have to subscribe to The Sucker, whether it is Apple iTunes that you're listening to this or whatever platform you are on. The next thing is make sure you leave a review. I love to hear what you have to say, and I read all of them, and it means a lot to me. The last thing, guys, is take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it on your stories on Instagram and tag me. That's at Spark Your Training. If you do this, I will repost it so you'll get a bump, I'll get a bump, and most importantly, we will share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them be healthy and stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot. Share it on Instagram stories and tag me in it. Let's try and get to 50 reviews on the podcast. Thanks for listening.